1: And welcome to "I Show Tangents," the frightly competitive science knowledge scream case. I'm your ghost Hank Gangreen, and joining me this week, as always, is Mad Scientist Scary Riley. Boo! <laughs> and our resident Every Wolf Man, Sam Skulls. Hello. <laughs> Good job, buddy. The old calendar on the wall says it's Halloween time once more, and as you know, we here at SciShow you may, you may not though, but but this is a thing. <laughs> we here at SciShow Tangents love to get into that Halloween spirit, and this year's no different. October will be Trick or Treat month, and Sam and Sari have invited some ghoulish guests to SciShow Tangents Manor to join us this month. In fact, I hear one of them approaching now. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs>
2: It's me, as a spooky ghost.
1: It's a comedian <laughs> and writer and Dimension Twenty player, Siobhan you Thompson. See. Hello. It's so good to see you again.
2: Thank you. It's so good to see you too, my friend. You're looking entirely different from the last time I saw you.
1: <laughs> yeah, but what happened? I, I moved all the hair from the top of the head to the bottom part of the head.
2: Very cool. That's the thing that all men have to go through at a certain age, I feel like. You just hurried on the system a little bit earlier than perhaps.
1: So Siobhan and I actually played a game together it was called Mentopolis and it's it's a a, a, a series a season I guess of Dimension 20 a series if you're British which you are
2: yes I am
1: (laughs) (laughs) and you can see it on Dropout TV and one episode on YouTube sorry that there's a paywall for the rest of them Trevon uh, you play a lot of games you play a lot of uh, tabletop games specifically professionally what's the best game I can play that doesn't oh. require me to buy anything that I don't already own.
2: Um, it depends, I guess, on if you're playing on your own or you're playing with other people. No, I got
1: friends. What do you think okay, I Okay, great.
2: Uh, then I love a silly little gambling game. Any kind oh. of silly little gambling game is fun to me, especially one that has almost no stakes. One of my favorite things to do at university, well, we played a lot of drinking games at uni because... You, a, you can drink legally in England, but B, also the culture in England is when you're done for the day, you go to the pub and you go sure. to the pub and you just sit with your friends for eight hours until they kick you, you out. And
1: play silly little gambling games.
2: Yes, exactly. Um, so we used to play a game called 21, which is so stupid, perfect for drinking because it gets you very drunk, but also... Tests your memory.
1: <laughs> oh, uh, the, so, the more drunker you get, the drunker you get. It's one of those.
2: <laughs> exactly. It starts off very simple. You, It's called 21. You just count around the table uh, to 21. And then the person that hits 21 drinks and makes up a rule. So uh, instead of saying the number five, you have to get up on the table and cluck like a chicken. And you could also say, instead of saying the number five, you have to say the number six. Yeah, so okay. you would go mm-hmm. one, six, two, six. three, four, six, six. Um, yeah, and if you mess it up, you have to drink and then start again. And then every time anybody gets to the number 21, you get to make a new rule. <sighs>
1: I That's love it fun. so much. That's a good game. We have a happy hour after this recording because we have a new employee who's coming to visit. And so we should That's go cool. to Cranky Sam's and play 21 in Siobhan's Honor and get me the drunkest I've been since I got cancer. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. I don't like games where you have to make a
3: spectacle of yourself because I feel
1: like I'm going to bother other people, you know? I'm fine making a spectacle of myself. But if I feel like I'm intruding on other people's ability to just have a nice evening, then I yeah. can't anymore.
2: I mean, you which, don't have to... Yeah. It, it's also the nice thing about it is it's set up yeah. so that if the people you are playing with are not the type of people who will happily in a bar stand up on a table and pluck like a chicken, you can just make right. the rules to fuck with them. So it can just be instead of saying the number eight, you have to say the alphabet backwards. Oh wow. Right. <laughs> so every time you get so that's not embarrassing, no you don't one, have to do anything in, social. No. It's oh, just right. really hard. Just an
1: infinite this game. is how I I'm um, okay. so clever. Is I'll just look up some rules that other people make up for the game, and then I'll be like, Great. do this one. It's fun." <laughs> and I came up with it just now.
0: That's like I used to have a note in my phone for two truths and a lie because I'm so uh, bad at thinking of idea. things about myself <laughs> yeah. on the uh-huh. spot. And I'm like, I already have. Oh, just off the top of my head, here are two. Oh, we're doing wildly two truths and a lie.
1: not <laughs> yeah. real fast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Every week here on Tangents, we get together to try to unnerve, disgust, and horrify each other with science facts. Sorry, sorry I didn't do anything Halloweeny for the banter, Sam. That's
3: okay. I was trying That's to think of something, but it's early September, so it's kind of tough.
1: Our panelists are playing for Gory and for Candy Which we will be awarding as we play And at the end of the episode, one of them will be crowned the King of Halloween And if the guest is the treat of Trick or Treat Month, here's the trick Our regular panel will all take turns presenting games this month And I will be playing along Now as always, we introduce this week's topic with the traditional science poem This week from Siobhan
2: uh, this is uh, an elegy to the bones I wrote my project on for my third year class, Human Bones, I have a degree <laughs> in archaeology, mm-hmm. taught by Dr. Kate Robson-Brown. <clears throat> bones are dyed a gorgeous ochre red, all five foot three of them, or thereabouts. From all the dirt that was your final bed, or should have been, but some suburban lout obsessed with finding treasure dug you up and put you in a box to study more, your body in an overflowing cup of artifacts and remnants to explore. So here I try to puzzle out your life, a woman's life I think, but can't be sure. Did you know love, sweet unending strife? And were you kind or cruel or demure? The only truth I know from your detritus is you had ankylosing spondylitis. <laughs> <laughs> Hot damn, got that was Edgar
1: Allan Poe over here. It was <laughs> yeah. beautiful. It was very creepy. It felt like the rhyme scheme felt creepy for some reason. It's mm-hmm.
2: Shakespeare, baby. It's, it's a Shakespearean sonnet. It, here's the thing about the English education system it's 95% <laughs> poems. And writing <laughs> them and learning oh. other people's poems off by heart.
1: Wow. We don't have that. Yeah, we have yeah. maybe 4% as poetry, and it's just that. Yeah. And then the rest is like how to make a hot dog. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know,
3: how to drill for oil.
1: How to drill for oil. <laughs> how to pay a lot of money for healthcare.
2: Yeah. That's, yeah, that's yeah. what they teach. Wow. Two yeah. of those things seem much harder than the other one.
1: They don't want you to think
3: too hard <laughs> about the healthcare one at all. Yeah, no. So what, is your, what was your? De- what was your degree in?
2: Archaeology. Cool. I was an archaeologist for about a year after I graduated and very quickly realized like oh this is not for me. this is so hard. Uh-huh. It's such a hard job. you're in the field. Uh, mm-hmm. you're covered in mud.
1: Do we get did we make the topic tombs knowing that Siobhan was an archaeologist Oh or yeah was the, I'm a, oh okay. I'm a real pro oh, okay <laughs> okay. I was like that would be very weird <laughs> no, but it's no. great. That you have a spooky subject matter. I have expertise. a spooky subject
2: matter. I've spookily dug up multiple drainage ditches, which is what you <laughs> mostly find when you're an archaeologist. <laughs> well,
0: we got to very... redo the episode now. Drainage ditches.
1: <laughs> yeah, ditches. They're very spooky.
0: <laughs> can you tell us what tombs are? I mean, kind of. Siobhan can probably do it better than me or with more specificity. But I, as far as I could find, tombs are a very general term. There are lots of different structures or enclosures of various sizes where humans in the present or past uh, put their dead. And sometimes they're underground, sometimes they're above ground, sometimes they're just like a pile of rocks. Um, There are pyramids and obelisks and mounds of dirt and like the mausoleums that you see that just look like little houses. Basically, any any structure Humans could construct you can also put dead people in there hmm. and then it's and a tomb then it's
1: a tomb, baby. <laughs> but now yeah. we have to poke holes. What if it's frogs instead of people? What if I build a little house for dead frogs and I put dead frogs in there on little shelves?
2: as long as it was created consciously and purposefully by a human mm-hmm. i would I would say that that is a tomb. Because it's about the creation by the humans. It's not actually about what's buried in there. Mm -hmm. In fact, you can have a tomb that has no body in it. Oh, uh, just not used yet. A memorial, like like the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. There's not the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, but like if somebody died at sea. Sure. For example, there are graves, there are tombs that are erected Mm -hmm. to that person, even though the body isn't there.
1: Does it have to have more than one body in it? No. It can just be one person. It can just be one person.
2: It can be zero people. It can be multiple people. The person can be buried there directly. It could be cremated remains. It could be uh, often the body is left, you know, in, in, for example, Neolithic British tombs. Mm -hmm. They let the body decay fully down to bones, and then they would collect the bones up in a little Mm. pile and put it in a nook.
1: They were thinking, they were like, (laughs) people, we got thousands of years to be doing this. We're not going to.
2: What else do you have to do? It's the Neolithic. <laughs> you're 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 digging henge monuments. You're you're uh, doing agriculture for the first yep. time, which yeah. means you're not traveling around.
1: Uh huh. You already Suddenly built just your house. A lot of free time.
2: You got so okay. much free time in the winter, especially. What are you doing?
1: I will continue to poke a hole. What if I'm a murderer, and I put them in there b- without their consent, oh. and in secret?
2: Uh, I don't think consent. Is necessary for okay. it to be called a tomb. I think for it to be a tomb, there has to be a monumental just to aspect to it. Somehow,
3: I agree. Yeah. Which
2: right. is not okay. which I don't mean. It, it's like a big, big monument, but something but that is like. marking right. the death of a person who is loved or respected.
1: So I have to be a murderer who loves and respects my victims. Great,
2: right? Well, <laughs> okay. an unmarked grave, I wouldn't call a tomb.
1: Certainly not. No, I definitely did not know what a tomb was going into this. I like I had a vague idea, but now I'm like, oh, okay. there's actually people have thought about this.
3: Wikipedia doesn't really clear it up too much either because it just lists every kind of way somebody could get buried, basically.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It is a very cool list, though. I learned about new ways that people can get buried from that list, like hanging coffins, um, which are used by cultures like um, Indonesia and the Philippines. People um, would carve their own like stone enclosures for when they would die. Um, and then these would be hung on cliffside faces because those are the spaces where they had to memorialize the dead. And so instead of like burying them within the ground, it's just like,
3: we're going to create this little nook for you. Like a big wall of dead people?
0: Yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. Vertical grave And sometimes they're graveyard. stacked pretty close together. Yeah, vertical oh, okay. grave, And not not down in the ground, but like. Cool. It's a great view. Yeah. Yeah. Seaside, <laughs> oceanside.
1: Sarah, do you know where the word tomb comes from, and why does it have a B on
0: it? Yeah, oh, I I question. know both of those questions. I think. Um, so the word tomb in English comes from the French word uh, tomb, where they pronounce pronounce the B a little bit harder. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the the B became silent in the Middle English period. So after we stole the word from French, as languages want to do, um, mm-hmm. like other words like lamb and dumb, the, the B held on to the end, but we just dropped the sound of it. Um, so sure. there are lots of words that ended up with the B. But it used to be pronounced, it used to be vocalized in French, and then also in ancient Greek Um, And the ancient Greek word for a burial mound was timbos or timbos. I couldn't get a sense of the O um, of what it was supposed to be. And it it just referred to um, any sort of grave or tomb, usually a a mound of dirt or rock Mm. monolith or things like that. And then before that, the etymology gets a little weird. We're not sure whether that... Greek word came from ancient Greek um, and kind of was related to the word typha, um, which was a lot of different things, monsters, storms, diseases, plants, all kinds of things kind of congealed into this this word. Or whether it was a cognate with the Latin word uh, tumulus, which is still a word that's used to describe like barrows or... Um, like mound type graves. That sounds pretty likely, huh? Right. Yeah, and and so like some linguists are like, oh, they sound the same, so it's probably related to tumulus, which is also where we get like tumor or tuberculosis or things like that. Hmm. Just a swelling, a swelling mm-hmm. of the ground. Hmm. Fairy barrows. That's oh. what we call them where I'm from. Oh, that sounds very <laughs> British.
3: That's yeah. nicer than yeah.
2: ground
1: yeah. tumors. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that means that it's time for us to move on to the quiz portion of our show. This week, i won't to be playing a little game called The Gauntlet. Oh, you guys ready for The Gauntlet?
3: Yeah. <laughs> oh, <boy>. what? <laughs> what? A gauntlet with a guest is a brave, brave move. <laughs> Look, yeah,
1: I don't make these decisions. <laughs> but I agree with you. To start. We're gonna be facing a series of seven questions of decreasing difficulty. I will be directing the questions to you from seven to one, asking just one of you at a time, and you can choose either to answer or pass. If you answer and are correct, you will be given the points, the same number of points as the question number. So the harder questions get you more points. If you're wrong, you will lose that number of points and your opponent can steal for that same number of points. But if they're wrong, they don't lose any points also new rule if your opponent attempts to steal the question and gets it wrong then the next person after them attempts and <laughs> and the next person after them attempts to steal the question and also gets it wrong that question will then be off the table for future rounds of the game so we're okay. just, we got to stop We're not going to try and get the answer if nobody knows the answer. If you pass, your opponent will get asked the next question, which uh, will be a little less difficult. After we've gone through all the questions, we will revisit the past questions. Only this time, they cannot be skipped. If you get the answer wrong, your opponents can steal from you. And remember, uh, pay attention to all the questions because sometimes you might get clues to help you with those harder questions. For today's episode of The Gauntlet, we're going to be talking (laughs) undiscovered tombs of historical figures and the work that goes into making them discovered. Starting with question seven. In 1485, King Richard III of England was killed in battle and then brought back to Leicester. Leicester? Leicester. 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 It's just Lester. Lester.
2: Lester, <laughs>
1: <laughs> to, Lester <laughs> to be buried at a church. Local legend said that his bones were later dug up by a mob and thrown into a river during the Reformation. But oh no. recent historians have d- disputed that lore and came up with a more likely location that turned out to be correct. Where it did it was they a think- car
2: park, Hank? <laughs> they found him in a car park. Great. <laughs> British question oh, for a bridge. Seven points for me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Next question. Our hardest game, most complicated <laughs> rules. And Siobhan's a <laughs> genius.
1: <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, in 2012, the Leicester City Council, University of Leicester, and Richard III Society began an archaeological dig under the parking lot of the Social Services Department in the very first trench they dug. And within six hours of their two week excavation, They managed to find a skeleton whose body bore signs of battle wounds (laughs) and a curved spine. And eventually, uh, they did some DNA sampling and carbon dating and confirmed that the bones belonged to King Richard III.
2: A car park. My kingdom for a car park. (laughs) Why'd a mob mob pull him out and throw him somewhere else? Here's the thing. The Tudors, who came after Richard III, Mm. just incredible propagandists. Really, really Mm. good at propaganda. So... A lot of the stories you hear about Richard III, you have to sort of look at through the Uh, lens of what the Tudors were saying about him afterwards because he had a much more real uh, claim to the throne than the Tudors had. The Tudors were like, somebody's great aunt was married to the bastard son of somebody's cousin.
1: All right, Sam, question number six. The Great Pyramid of Giza was built on the order of Pharaoh Khufu. Uh, though his actual burial location remains unknown. Scientists recently had to refute claims that they'd found his burial location after they identified a horizontal chamber above the entrance to the pyramid. Oh. One of the techniques they used to discover this chamber relies on being able to detect a specific particle. This is like a, part- like a physics particle. Damn it. What particle?
2: This is so Just much hotter
1: than my question. <laughs> we made a sci show. Well, episode I mean, if uh, maybe if you're British, but
3: <laughs> waves, some kind of waves of some sort. Well, more of a particle than a wave. <laughs> oh shit! Well, then I don't know. <laughs> Name a particle. Then I pa- uh, ca- You're
1: not uh, gonna. You can. Uh, you, can uh, you can. You can pass. You're right. You can pass. I'm choosing to pass. All right. So Sam has passed. So, Sari, here's your question number five. According to legend, Genghis Khan did not want people to know where he was buried and asked that the site be kept a secret. And reporters who have talked to people in Mongolia have found that that sentiment holds among many today. But that has not stopped others from trying to find Genghis Khan's tomb. In 2010, researchers used the search for the tomb as an opportunity to test out crowdsourcing, asking more than 10,000 online volunteers to sift through more than 80,000 images covering small chunks of the Mongolian landscape. The volunteers were asked to label images with up to five tags, including modern structure, ancient structure, roads, and other. What was the fifth tag? So there was modern structure, ancient structure, roads, uh, a f- a a fourth one, and then just other. What was the fourth thing as a thing people maybe were seeing? Hill. Hill uh, is a great guess, but it is wrong. Okay. Siobhan, <laughs> <laughs> you have a chance to steal if you would like to, and you. Uh, there's no cost to this.
2: Okay, I will say some kind of water source: river, lake.
1: River is the uh, yeah, river. The it's
2: river. Oh, wow. that was
1: my guess wow. too.
3: <laughs> a record show, I would have said
1: River. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so the the researchers used the tomb of Genghis Khan as an example of a needle in a haystack problem except where you don't know what the needle actually looks like no burials of Mongolian imperial family members have been found so there's little way for people to be able to uh, figure out what the tomb would even look like instead the researchers were focused on seeing how the volunteers responded to the task and how they shaped their choice of tags Uh, When they saw the choices that other volunteers made, the end result was a crowdsourced map of uh, 100 highly ranked locations, 55 of which turned out to be what they called archaeologically and culturally significant sites that included Uh, some burial sites. The actual location of Genghis Khan's tomb remains unknown, though there are a few locations that do seem somewhat likely. Figuring out which one would be the actual one. Who the heck knows? Siobhan, you get to go again. And I don't know why we're still doing this because you've basically (laughs) already won. (laughs) While Nicholas Copernicus died in 1543 uh, and was buried beneath the cathedral, his grave was unmarked and the location of his remains remained ambiguous for centuries. But in 2005, Polish archaeologists found a skeleton, uh, some skeleton fragments that belonged to a man who could have been Copernicus. Lacking DNA from any relatives to compare to, researchers Mm -hmm. weren't sure what they could use to identify the remains until Swedish researchers brought up uh, that they had an item belonging to Copernicus that might contain some of his hair. What was it?
2: The Swedes had this item?
1: The Swedes <laughs> had an item that might contain hair of Copernicus. A
2: hair of and it's Copernicus, not,
1: not a comb or a brush.
2: <laughs> and these are Swedish scientists that have this or like a Swedish museum. Swedish can creep. I is, can I ask that? Is that or is just gen, just it's a bunch of random Swedes? It says they were
1: it says they were researchers, so my guess <laughs> okay. is that probably they were connected to a museum.
2: Um I will guess my knowledge of Copernicus not being very high that It was a telescope of some kind that they used hair in some kind of construction for.
1: Could have been, but it wasn't. That wasn't it. Was that close? Uh, Was it close? I mean, in that it's about... uh... It's not like
2: it's so no. Baby baby I think the answer bit. is no. Not even <laughs> <Yeah>. a little <laughs> bit close.
3: Because that makes you think it could be have been like uh something like a crosshair, something with like a crosshair in it that he had used. Oh, that's, like that's chooom- very smart. Like a level yeah. or like a sextant. Is it a sextant? Oh. That's a telescope, probably no. kinda, huh? Okay. Sextant is not a telescope.
2: Sextant is for star it's a Telescope
3: adjacent.
2: Yeah. You look through
3: it's, it's a, tool a that you scientific use. <laughs> instrument. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> with a telescope. <laughs> Clothing would be too obvious, I think, and also to can, like a like a notebook. Like he wrote a lot of books. It
1: was a, I'm just going to give it to you. It was a book. Wow. It was like a book of asht- of, of like measurements wow. of stuff, uh, an astronomical <laughs> reference book that I think that he like created. So that would that, that definitely passes. It was wow. called the Calendarium Romanium Magnum. Oh, no, it wasn't his book. It was by Johann Stoffler, and it had been used by Copernicus for quite some time. And when Sweden invaded Poland, the book was moved to Sweden and later became the property <laughs> of the university there. And the researchers ended up finding nine hairs in the book, four Ew. of which ended up matching the skeleton, suggesting Wild. that it was indeed the remains of Copernicus.
0: What yeah. the heck? Wild. And just some other people's hair in there, too. You can and find other skeletons.
1: No <laughs> yeah. That was just his all of his best buddies.
2: Yeah, they're reading the book together as you do. Yeah. Just hunched
1: right over, as it. Do. It really cute.
2: looking at the calendar lot. with your friends. We all love looking at the Roman calendar with our friends. They didn't
3: have TV <laughs> yet. Okay, you couldn't watch Orange Is the New Black. You had to watch that.
1: Sam, in 2008, archaeologists yes. were digging up a tomb in Magdeburg Cathedral, mm-hmm. a Mag Magdeburg Cathedral, and they were surprised to find that it was not empty. Inside was a lead box with a. Inscription translating to The remains of Queen girth Are in this sarcophagus Of course one does not simply Trust inscriptions and the archaeologists Wanted to confirm that these were in oh. fact The remains of the queen who died around 946 <laughs> CE mm-hmm. One method they uh, used relied On the ratio of strontium Isotopes oh found in God. a particular part Of the skeleton's remain yeah. What part was it
2: I I know this one. Oh my God! I hate
1: you. I hate you. I think I
2: know it. I think I don't know. I could be wrong.
3: Like a a fake tooth. Is it a fake (gasps) tooth?
1: It's a real tooth, that's great. I'll give it to you. Okay,
3: great. Thank you. (laughs) A tooth. Period.
1: (laughs) But that's a good instinct because, like, the skeleton is universally made of like the same thing over and over again—just bone, except for the teeth. Yeah, and she didn't have like a new hip put in or anything. Probably no. Uh, So because the ratio of strontium isotopes can tell scientists about the types of food and water we eat as we grow up and rocks form with small traces of rubidium 87, which decays into strontium 87. And you can use the ratio of strontium 87 to the more stable strontium 86 to date the rocks as older rocks will have a lower ratio. But importantly, as rocks weather, that strontium gets into the soil, which then gets into the meat and the grains we eat, which then in turn gets into our teeth. So ah. as we grow up, the strontium ratio of our teeth will reflect the strontium ratio in the areas we were growing up in. That's Amazing. so smart.
3: Scientists are it's, so supposed to. I would like to say, Siobhan, when I, we were emailing, you were like, oh, I was an archaeologist once for a year a long time ago. You're a freaking genius. That's <laughs> not fair.
1: You I just
3: a, a have ringer. a really
2: good memory.
1: Oh, okay.
2: For... <laughs> Really useless facts. I'm well. just
1: very smart, is Siobhan. <laughs> yeah. I'm humble. just
2: really smart. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really clever and I keep reading things about the things that I don't do That's anymore. Not fair. I don't do them anymore.
1: <laughs> All right. We've got Sari now. To for question number two. Richard III did not leave behind any living descendants. So when archaeologists found the skeleton and his possible burial place, they relied on DNA to identify the body. Problem is Richard III did not have any descendants. The researchers had to uh, didn't have any old books or similar items to get hair samples from, but they were able to identify an all female line of descent through Richard III's sister. This meant they were able to gather a particular type of DNA passed down through our mothers that they could then match to Richard III's DNA. What type of DNA was that?
0: Biology question. Thank goodness, uh, <laughs> mitochondrial DNA. <laughs>
1: That's correct.
0: Mitochondria have
1: their own DNA and it's only passed down through the egg cell. And so it's only through the matrilineal line. So I have my mother's DNA uh, and she has her mother's DNA and so on. But my son doesn't have any of my mitochondrial DNA. He has Catherine's who has Catherine's mother's mitochondrial DNA, etc. So they can use that to track the descent in a different way and still be able to know that it was that guy, even though he doesn't have any living descent. That's the second our easiest question. Oh, I mean, I knew the, I knew that one. Okay, I knew
2: that one. Ah.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, last question, please. For last question is for Siobhan. Yeah. All right. In 2022, Swedish archaeologist mm-hmm. and Polish research, Polish researcher. I'm not making it easy for me here. Made a lot of claims, Polish questions. Polish researcher both made claims that they had identified the burial site of King. Har- Harald. Oh, it's just Harold. I don't know why I have to God damn it. If you laugh that hard, we're going to keep it in. And that's yeah. terrifying for me. Harold. Harald. <laughs> Harald. King Harald I of Denmark, who was killed in a battle around 987 CE and who was, according to them, buried in what is today a church in Poland. While they relied on artifacts and ge- geological satellite images, currently there is not much evidence in the form of muons or other particles to suggest that this is where King Harald was buried. However, the king has had a very clear legacy on our lives, thanks to a modern day technology Whose name is inspired by the dead tooth that King Harald was known for? What is that technology? It's
2: Bluetooth, Hank. It's Bluetooth, Siobhan. It's Bluetooth. I guess no. he had a
1: Bluetooth. Harald
2: Bluetooth. Yes, the little rune that is the Bluetooth indicator, the Bluetooth symbol uh, it was like uh, It's a rune of his name. Yeah, yeah. Vikings.
1: He was known for having united Denmark under one ruler, conquering Norway and converting the Danes and Norwegians to Christianity. While he was uh, thought to have died in battle, the writings say that he was likely buried in a church in Denmark. The exact location isn't known, which has opened up other theories, one being... It's in your ear. He died in battle
3: because he's listening to his damn wireless headphones. He wasn't paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> got to pay attention. <laughs> so that was, how was like <laughs> listening to a podcast. It's yeah, very distracting. Just, he was laughing at how you said his name, and then he got foop, arrow right through the head. <laughs>
1: I've I, I've learned that it is dangerous to listen to a podcast when you are in a room with a loved one. If you are right now listening to this podcast and, <laughs> and, and, uh, cool and you're giggling your, to
2: yourself your, your while your <laughs> loved ones
1: and your loved one is asking you a question about your child's breakfast, you you're should feel rude. shame, just like I did Take this morning. Out. Yeah. Yeah them out
3: okay i'm gonna try to answer my question now about the particle the particle is the only one yeah this is the particle
1: a... question is the only one we didn't get this has is actually a... gone way better than a lot of gauntlets because
2: <laughs> <laughs> a... siobhan is a genius yeah. uh clearly that's the key just, we need one to remember person. things
1: <laughs> is it <a laughs> I, ju- I,
2: I, just... I, I don't know anything about particles though the physics stuff yeah. i i was who's, not very good go at who's go is it
1: to to answer Me. the particle? my
3: go is oh, it a is it a muon? It I is, and there it was is? a hint, and
1: you did pick up on.
3: Oh it. yes, <laughs> yes. Okay, yes. okay. What
2: Muons. is a muon? I have no idea what a muon Who's is.
1: <laughs> it's a particle.
2: <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> oh my I god! Know, you know, like
1: I, yeah, I don't really know. I
2: barely know what a particle is. It's like not an atom. It's like a. It's like a bits of an atom, smaller or smaller than an atom. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Isn't it like an electron? Kind it's of. It's like a big
1: electron. Yeah. Well. We've tallied up the scores, and somehow Sam and Siobhan in an unjust turn of <laughs> events are <tied>. Wait, what? <laughs> I'm
3: smart too, it turns out. <laughs> I think
1: that Sam didn't get any wrong, and Siobhan, you got one wrong. Oh, no, I did that, get one. So took away from your score. <laughs> Dang. Uh, and Sari has nine, and I maybe have nine if I get all of the negative points. I uh, only have one hang uh, oh, no. collected to me.
0: I have no. Uh, oh, Sari
1: has one, and maybe I have nine, and maybe I have zero. We'll figure that out later. You definitely have zero. Okay, I definitely have, but I didn't get a chance to get any points. That's okay.
3: Who cares? Fake game. It's not real. Okay. <laughs> You're not allowed to be the king of point. Halloween.
2: I paid five 500- hundred. Dollars into the bucket for this game, and if I don't win some of it back, I'm gonna feel like I'm being stolen from. Yeah, remember, somebody told that, me to Venmo them. Uh, I didn't really under,
1: didn't get didn't get the lowdown on how 21 involves betting at all.
2: Anything can involve oh, betting. If you love to bet, Hank, you can bet anything you want. <laughs> okay.
1: All right. Next up, we're gonna take a short break. Then Sam has another devious game for us all.
0: Cancel unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S.
3: SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Shopify. Hank, when you started your career as a... (laughs) The internet science man. Was opening an online store something that you were really thinking that hard about or something
1: you thought you'd do in a billion years? I was uh, making a shop before I was the internet science man. Oh, what? That was the first thing I did. I was that first. Wow, I gotta learn my hank history. How did that go for you? <laughs> Good. I'll, here's what I'll tell you. Like the 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 part where we start selling a thing and you get to see the number go up is so exciting. And uh when it's just like you uh, by yourself you gotta be careful but luckily (laughs) shopify has all kinds of little tools to help you with that to help you with increasing conversions to help you with managing orders with customer support with all of the stuff uh because it's a you know i don't know it feels like the industry standard and so there are all kinds of plugins that you can use to make your shopify work for you in particular
3: That's right. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from vlogging in your parents' basement to treading the boards of Carnegie Hall.
1: Now, it was my basement. It was my basement (laughs) of my own home that I was renting
3: (laughs) downstairs of. (laughs) If you say so. From your first sale to your one millionth, Shopify is here to help you grow. And they've got a proven track record, my friends. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and powers entrepreneurs in 175 countries. They have, as Hank mentioned, the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And they have award-winning customer service because businesses that grow, grow
1: Welcome back, everybody. Sam, what
3: are you going to do to us? Okay, so you guys ready? Tombs are many things. They're invaluable sources of archaeological information acting as a time capsule to another time and culture. They're also weird and creepy. All of these aspects of tombs make them a terrific breeding ground for hoaxes. Want to try and trick your way into the scientific community? Want to make some money? Want to just make people feel weird? There's a tomb hoax for you. And now I will tell you about some of them. (laughs) But I've concocted a little hoax of my own. Some of these hoaxes are real hoaxes, and some of these are hoax hoaxes made up by me. (laughs) It's your job to tell me which is which in a game that I call hoax or hoax hoax. Uh, In other words, we're playing truth or fail express with hoaxes. So it's just true or false. Question one, and you'll all answer these independently. In the 1920s, the state of Mississippi purchased a large collection of artifacts from the estate of a prominent recently deceased citizen. Including in this collection was an Egyptian mummy, which was put on display in the Mississippi Capitol building for decades until, in 1969, an X-ray of the mummy revealed that it was made of papier-mâché and animal bones on top of a wooden frame. Is this a real hoax or a hoax hoax?
0: I think it's a real hoax because Americans will do the wildest shit with the things in their backyard.
1: I mean, I I think it's a real hoax, uh, and if it's fake, it's got to be close to a real hoax because I've been to a hoax like this. It's called the Thing, and it's a roadside oh, attraction. Yes, you have to walk through like a whole maze of weird stuff before you arrive at what is definitely a papier-mâché mummy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think it's real because in the 1920s. There was a huge thriving mummy fake fever. mummy business. Yeah. yeah. People loved to buy mummies in, and honestly, like from the 1700s up until, I mean, people still love to buy <laughs> fake archaeological things, but like there was a big pop in the 1920s because of Tutankhamun. This is probably the
3: best performance of anyone on any episode of Tangents by Siobhan. It's a real hoax. It wasn't even x-rayed because anyone was suspicious of its authenticity, though. A medical student named Gentry Yeatman wanted to autopsy it for signs of ancient disease. And then he did. And then he said, wait a minute.
2: Like, there's a, this, this, a, the ancient this disease is a is a of this is a dog.
3: <laughs> this isn't even a guy. All right. Next up. In 1987, a team of archaeologists were investigating a Mayan tomb in Belize when they discovered an extremely out-of-place pop culture reference. A small engraving placed on one of the sarcophagi featuring the images of Star Wars droids R2-D2 and C-3PO. The researchers <laughs> made no assumption that it was authentic, obviously. And eventually, a local sculptor admitted to sneaking the anachronistic artifact into the tomb several years Years before just for fun real hoax or hoax hoax i love it i want to say it's this, real
2: yeah this is really tough because people are scams and i respect <laughs> it
3: uh-huh. they are scams mm-hmm. is right yeah
2: we used to do this when i was an archaeologist we would when we would uh do uh fill in the trenches we would just like throw in a handful of coins or something or like mm, something from the world to confuse the next lot of archaeologists to come along. I think you should do that. To be like, hey, and have fun. Yeah. This is, this is just a like, joke they, for the future. They must
1: have done it for ritual purposes.
2: Yes, exactly. <laughs> but was there, was there a big tomb thing in the Mayan? Don't ask I'm, us. I'm not a big Mayan guy. No. I, I think it might be fake. I'm going to go fake on this one. I'm also going to go hoax, hoax.
0: I think it's fake.
3: <laughs> thanks for using the correct, uh, the correct term, Sari.
0: You're welcome, Sarah. I'm a professional.
3: <laughs> the answer is, this hoax is a hoax, hoax. I made it all ah, up. But it was inspired thanks. by the hieroglyphics of R2D2 and C3PO that you can see in the great movie ride at Disney MGM Studios. <laughs> Next up. <laughs> in the late 1890s, the Louvre bought a gold crown allegedly belonging to an ancient Middle Eastern king. For a whole lot of money. Upon displaying the piece, several experts told the Louvre that the crown was clearly fake. But the Louvre said, "Nah." uh until 1903 when a Ukrainian artist who made the crown went to the Louvre to tell them he had made it at the behest of a dealer who told him it was intended as a gift for a friend. But the Louvre still didn't believe him, so he made another crown and said, look, I made another crown. And they said, fine, <laughs> we believe you. Real hoax or hoax hoax? Uh,
2: I'm going to go real because museums still do this stuff. <laughs> there's there's something <laughs> yeah. rotten in the state of Denmark. Uh <laughs> when it comes to museums. But it, it, you can't believe everything that they write on the little uh captions. The new the the Metropolitan Museum got in trouble this year for buying stolen artifacts and artifacts that were um not as real as they were claiming to be. They were like egyptian stuff that they'd like stuck one thing on top of the other
3: maybe that's the story i based this on
1: hmm yeah maybe yeah. but i'm gonna <laughs> go with true as well uh just because that seems i mean i think sam's just too good at selling this stuff
0: i agree multi-layered good twists and turns the artist coming back at the end character development you know <laughs> <laughs> all
3: right so this hoax was a real hoax The Louvre was super embarrassed about this whole thing, but the guy who made the crown got famous for being so good at making stuff like crowns, and he lived in Paris for the rest of his life and even received a gold medal from the Paris Salon of Decorative Arts. The Louvre would later display massive amounts of cope when the crown was included in their Salon of Fakes exhibition in the 50s. You might notice that I didn't mention tombs at all in this fact. Well, let's assume that somebody so- told somebody this was from a tomb. I'm not really sure, but it was too good of a story. <laughs> I'm not, not worried to do. about it, Sam. <laughs> yeah. I hadn't thought of that. That had not occurred to me. Next question. If you were to visit a black market antique dealer in the Ica province of Peru, they might show you an Ica stone, a purportedly ancient stone robbed from the tombs of an ancient Peruvian culture engraved with images of your basic ancient human stuff, like images of flying machines, people performing brain surgery, or people riding on and hunting dinosaurs. The Ica stones are, of course, hoaxes, but the question is, are they a real hoax or a hoax hoax by me,
1: the hoax master? (laughs) You just make it up, or is it a real thing? Yeah. I think I might just go with real hoax for all of them. I think I just like I'm settling, but I think they're all real.
2: I think this one's real too. I, I think I'm going to go real on this one too.
3: Rats. It's a real one. When an episode <laughs> of the BBC documentary series Horizon covered the Eco Stones in 1977, the farmer who claimed to have found and sold them brought. Were brought, was brought to the attention of the Peruvian authorities because if the dude really mm. found and sold these stones, then he was committing a crime. Right. Uh, but then the farmer told him that he and his wife had just made the stones to sell to tourists. It was a nice couple's crafting activity.
1: <laughs> 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 and they were like, "Actually, that's fine. You're totally allowed. <laughs> yeah. You cool. can't grave rob, but yeah. <laughs> but lying to tourists is great. That's a okay. Good that. for the economy.
3: They're great looking stones too." And finally, a short but sweet one. In 2017, a team of archaeologists opened a sarcophagus in the ancient Egyptian city of Memphis to find that a merry prankster had wrapped a teddy bear in gauze and placed it next to the mummy inside. The archaeologists dated the teddy bear to 1994 by reading the tag attached to it. No culprit was ever identified. Real hoax or hoax hoax. Hoax
2: hoax. There's a lot of tombs in Memphis. However, they are underground. So, if you were going to break into this tomb, open the sarcophagus, put a teddy bear in, and then leave. Seems like a lot of work. Seems like a lot of work. So, for that reason, I'm going to go hoax hoax.
1: Just giving too many good reasons, because now we're all going to say hoax hoax.
2: I'm going to say
0: real hoax, just to switch it up. Who knows? <laughs> people are scamps. Now Sorry. I learned that people some are scamps. scamps. So, you know, the scamp yeah. logic.
3: Sarah, you come out looking like a total blockhead because this was a hoax hoax. I just made it up entirely.
1: I like the, the object was dated by looking at the tag. That's very good. That's a very good addition. Yes,
2: the Beanie Baby birthday was there. It was 1994. Beanie Babies were worth billions of dollars. That teddy bear enriched that tomb. Yeah. By a significant amount.
1: All right. Well, that means that in amongst all of the fighting that just occurred, our final candy count, Sam has nine, Sari has five, I have four, or maybe, or maybe 13. And Siobhan, <laughs> Doesn't matter what I have, has 14. Wow!
3: Congratulations!
2: Boo, boo, boo.
1: you
3: deeply wow. Maybe earned I should it. go
2: back and get my master's. Maybe it's time.
3: <laughs> I think this is a sign. Yeah, I
2: think just play them this podcast episode. Yeah, <laughs> yeah play there them this go.
3: episode, go. and they'll be like, "Here
2: you go."
1: Yeah. What else could you possibly have to learn? <laughs> you
2: know <everything, laughs> exactly. Really. Exactly. Here's the thing with archaeology: it's just a bunch of dweebs who just like learning little fun facts, and that's yes. that's the that's the nature of the that's the great. industry.
1: That's that's the, the kind of dweeb I am. Uh, but I'll learn the fun facts after they work hard to to find them, and then they'll just tell them. to <laughs> Just pay. read and it I'm on like, oh, the internet I later. I, yeah, I, yeah. I just did that from bed. Great. And now <laughs> it's time to ask the science couch, where we've got a question for our couch of finely honed scientific minds.
3: Just for playlists on YouTube asks, how do large burial mounds affect the local ecosystem?
1: I, I, I grew up in Florida where there's huge mounds of... Um, uh, mostly shellfish shells. Um, and I never really thought about how like it is basically a giant garbage. Pile.
2: Alkalizing the soil.
1: Yeah, definitely doesn't do nothing. But that's all. That's my only thought that I have. Head empty otherwise. Help. Help <laughs> someone.
2: I think it depends on how many bodies are buried in the uh, mound. I would imagine. Like if you're talking about one body, probably not very no much. Idea. If you're talking right. about hundreds, probably quite a lot. Is that useful? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Sarah's actually done research. Which I is have done research. Which oh. is thing about the, this part of the podcast. Uh-huh. <laughs>
2: um,
0: and so, yeah, I think to some extent it, it depends on how many bodies, but I think that there's a lot we don't know about this pop culture phenomenon of uh, vegetation on top of the earth indicating where dead bodies or where decomposition is happening underneath the earth. Mm-hmm. So there is some observable effect that bodies buried in very shallow graves and that are allowed to decompose can increase vegetation Um, but we don't really know why and we don't know if it's consistent Um, and so the the main ways that burial mounds actually affect the local ecosystems aren't because of the decomposing bodies but because they are cultural sites of course, there are some situations where people are like, I want to do agriculture here and just kind of uh, bulldoze an area, um, often destroying burial mounds in the process. But if those mounds are left alone, they actually have higher native plant biodiversity. um, Because oftentimes, when humans get our hands on green spaces, we manicure it or plant what we want to. But in A lot of regions, particularly in Europe and Central Asia, where there are these vast grasslands um, that are oftentimes disturbed by human settlements or developments, these burial mounds are really hot spot ecosystems for native grasses, a lot of biodiversity, particularly of insects and pollinators and um, kind of boring plants, but that are really important Mm -hmm. for the environment because they're left untouched. But There's this idea that if, for cultural reasons, um, we leave something alone, then the nature is doing okay. Yeah,
1: it's the story of of Chernobyl, where it's like, oh, well, we can't go there. And then nature's like, great, that's actually, you're the biggest problem. (laughs) You are a bigger (laughs) problem than the giant nuclear power plant that exploded. I'll
3: invent a new type of mushroom, and this
1: will be okay. Yeah, we'll just we'll just have some dogs evolve to be better at being being dogs. If you want to ask the Science Couch your questions, you can follow us on Twitter at SciShowTangents, where we'll tweet out topics for upcoming episodes every week. Or you can join the SciShowTangents Patreon and ask us on our Discord. Thank you to Charlie Crossing on Discord and at Solok Holmes on YouTube and also everybody else who asked us uh, questions for this episode. Siobhan, thank you so much for joining thank us. Thank you. Where can we see what you're up to these days
2: well social media is falling into a black pit of death <laughs> so don't even don't even think about looking for me there <laughs> so I don't know watch dimension 20 um, on dropout or on YouTube Hank is there as well for a little oh, yeah. bit um, and we've got a bunch more coming out this year as well as that we're going on tour to the UK in April but I think it's already sold out well and I don't know if you see me in the street Be nice to me, please. I'm very sensitive.
3: (laughs) You just start this podcast over again, and then there you'll be also.
1: If you like this show and you want to help us out, it's super easy to do that. First, you can go to patreon.com slash scishowtangents to become a patron and get access to things like our newsletter and our bonus episodes. And don't forget, we have hit 700 patrons on our Patreon, which means that we're going to be doing a commentary on the Minions movie. So get ready uh, to hear a whole lot about piss. If that sounds good to you, you be sure to join our Patreon at any level. To get access to that commentary as soon as it is released. Second, leave us a review wherever you listen. It's super helpful and helps us know what you think about the show. And finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, just tell, tell people, people
0: about, about, us. about us. I've been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley.
3: And I've been Sam Schultz. I've been me the whole time. <laughs> ah, what, a, what a
1: reveal. <laughs> SciShow Tangents is created by all of us and produced by Sam Schultz our associate producer is Eve Schmidt our editor is Seth Glixman our story editor is Alex Billow our social media organizer is Julia Buzz Bazaio our editorial assistant is Debuki Chakarati our sound design is by Joseph I didn't. were we doing creepy ones before or just was for, that the first just one?
3: just
1: for him <laughs> <laughs> first for Tuna, okay Our executive producers are Nicole Sweeney and me, Hank Green. And of course, we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you. And remember, the mind is not a coffin to be filled, but a jack-o'-lantern to be lighted.
2: But. One more thing. In February 2004, the marble tomb of the Italian warlord, Cangre della Scala, was opened so that we could do science on his body. Written documents from July 1329 said that his sudden death was from drinking from a polluted spring, which led to a fever, diarrhea, and vomiting. TMI. But one (laughs) team of researchers wanted to investigate this claim. Cangre's body was naturally mummified, And luckily, there was a bunch of old poo in his colon and rectum that they could sample along with his bones and liver and other less but related body parts. In a paper published in February 2015 in the Journal of Archaeological Science, the team reported evidence of foxglove pollen grains in his rectum. And two foxglove derived <laughs> toxins in his liver Ooh. and poo that were at lethal concentrations 700 years ago. So they concluded that Cangrade may have been intentionally poisoned rather than randomly sick, leaving us with a murder mystery that will probably never be solved. It is wild that we grow foxgloves so much because they are so deeply, deeply poisonous. <laughs> they are so poisonous. It is so, you can breathe in foxglove and die. What does foxglove look like? They're beautiful flowers. You would recognize them because they're in every single garden.
3: I do think my wife is growing these, so watch out if I disappear. (laughs) Be
2: careful. I mean, I just simply would not eat anything that she gives you. (laughs) Oh.